one who is loyal, one who will stick by you no matter what, one who, if you ask him to do something, he would go to great lengths, the best he possibly could, to make sure that would happen. If you've had a friend like that, then you have been blessed in your life. I know I've had friends like that and still have friends like that, and hopefully they are watching and listening to today. Friends who are, who are loyal, reliable, dependable, and trustworthy. You know, when Michelle and I went to uh, the mission field in the early 90s, somebody gave me some advice right at the beginning. I, have no, I don't even remember who it was, but somebody said, said, Bob, if you make a commitment and you say you're going to be out in the village somewhere at a meeting or something like that, he said, you better show up because if you don't show up, they probably won't show up either later on. And you know, so I tried my hardest to show up. If I made a commitment, I was going to be there. But you know what happened sometimes? Sometimes I didn't make it. And that's the problem. That's the problem. We are human and sometimes we don't show up and sometimes we aren't reliable. But the good news in this series is this, on this lesson today, that there is one that is always reliable. There's one that's always dependable and that is our God and he is faithful and dependable 100% of the time. Listen to these scriptures that we have here talking about that kind of faithfulness. Psalms 25:10 says this, All the ways of the Lord are faithful and loving toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. And then in Psalms 33, 4, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all of his ways. In 46, Psalms 146, 6, he is the maker of heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. So as a definition of what we're talking about today, again, Someone who is loyal, dependable, trustworthy, and reliable. And we could go so many places in the Bible that show and, and just depict the, God, the faithfulness of God. And me, one of the first ones and one of the main ones is his faithfulness to Abraham. He made all of these great problems, uh, not problems, but promises to Abraham. He said, I'm going, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a great nation. You're going to bless people. And then ultimately the whole world is going to be blessed through you. All of those promises came through. God blessed Abraham. He he gave him a big family. He, He made him wealthy. He gave him many years. He was extremely blessed. Did he give him a great name? I mean, how many people know if you're if you're uh, the children today that are in our audience or the children that are listening today, raise your hand if you've ever heard of the name Abraham. I know there's a few out there. <laughs> yes, we know him. Billions of people in the world today know Abraham. We sing that song, Father Abraham had many sons and daughters. We know him. God has made his name great. He made him a great nation, the nation of Israel. Oh, they did have greatness. And they've gone up and down sometimes, but they were a great nation. And even today, they are still around. Abraham blessed people. He blessed Lot and others. And ultimately, the promise to bless the nations of the world came about through Jesus, uh, one of his descendants. Where the whole world now can be blessed through him. And billions of people are who believe and put, put their trust and their faith in him. Yes, God is faithful. He continued to make these promises and be faithful to his people Israel. Promises to be with them, to protect them, to bless them, to give them the land, 
of Canaan, where he was there, the land of milk and honey, and also to use them to be his instrument of blessing to others. And then finally, the promise to the church to be faithful. Upon Peter's confession that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus said, upon this confession, I'm going to build my church. On this rock, I'm going to build my church. And what do you say? The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, that, the gates of Hades and so many other peoples of the world have tried to prevail against the church, whether it be the great Roman Empire, whether it be hostile religions of the world, whether, whether it be atheistic regimes, communist kind of regimes. They've tried to prevail against the church, the church of Christ, the church of God, but they have all failed and they will all fail because God's promises hold true. God is faithful. He is faithful in all ways. Amen? Amen. Okay, so today what I want to do is give you four, maybe four and a half ways, because I have two parts in one of them, four ways in which we have these wonderful benefits, four wonderful benefits that result from God's faithfulness. I'm going to start with this scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. It says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So God is faithful and he will surely do something. What is it that God will surely do? In this passage, it says he is faithful to sanctify. He is faithful to make you holy and make you holy through and through. It says you're kept completely blameless spirit, soul, and body until Jesus returns. Very cool. He is a faithful God to do that. So, holy. He is faithful to sanctify us, to make us holy. What does holy mean? Holy means to set us apart for his service. It means to make us pure and clean, devoted to him. And the Bible clearly tells us how we're holy. If you go to Rome, uh, I'm not going to read all these passages, but if you go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, easy one to remember, Hebrews 10, 10, it says specifically, we are made holy by the sacrifice of Jesus. The body and blood of Jesus makes us clean. But see, before we believe in, before Jesus, before we believe and trust in him, the Bible says that we are, we are dirty. We are, we are filthy. We have sin, and that sin just separates us from God because he is so holy. But then Jesus, he comes and he dies. He's sacrificed, and he takes our sin. He carries our sins. He bears our sins on the cross, so my sin goes to him, and his cleanliness and purity comes to me, and now I become holy. What a, what a benefit. What an incredible benefit. I become holy. I become pure. I become clean. And I become set apart and devoted to him. And as Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says that once we were like vessels who were used for ignoble or dishonorable purposes, but now we're, used, we're cleansed and we're used for special purposes, used for the master and by the master to do good works. So, yes, it's Jesus that makes us holy. It's his sacrifice from what he did on the cross. And then that holiness continues to cleanse us in his sight throughout our lives. 
But then, let's just say soon after we become, all of us, I mean, most of us here are Christians. Soon after we become Christians, follower of Jesus, we become holy. We see something uh, peculiar happening. We see and we know that parts of our life are still or seem to be still unholy with sin and darkness still in our lives. So there is another aspect of this holiness or this sanctification that we're talking about in this passage. And that is this, that our bodies, our lives in this, in this world are progressively being changed for the better, to be more pure, to be more uh, sinless, uh, free from sin and corruption, being changed into the image of Jesus by the power of God through his spirit. And God, this scripture says that God is faithful to do that in our lives, faithful to help remove those areas in our lives that harm us, that take away from our walk with him, that take away from this abundant life that he has promised. But we know that sometimes, some of us, we some, or all, maybe all of us, we choose to let too much of this darkness remain in our lives. You know, there's an interesting statistic that I heard that says for people who go through this major heart surgery, two years after that surgery, 90% of those people are still back or back into the lifestyle that they had before the surgery. The, sur- the lifestyle that for many of them led them to the need for that surgery. That shouldn't be so. That sometimes happens to Christians. We come back into that lifestyle that's not good for us. A lifestyle that's not being changed. But as this passage says, God wants all of us. He wants your body to be full of light, not darkness. Blameless in spirit, soul, and body, it says. And don't forget this. It's not that you can do that by trying hard. It's not, this, this thing about change and sanctification, it's not, the, it's not the type of thing that you say, oh, I just need to try harder. I mean, we've all, probably most of us have fallen into that trap. I just need to try a little bit harder to get this thing out of my life. That's not really the way it works. I've tried that. It doesn't work. It's more about yielding to God, surrendering your heart to God, abiding in Jesus and doing all of that in the community in the community of believers, and in doing so, he's the one who's doing the work inside you. He's the one filling you with this light and pushing out that darkness. So within this yielding, humble spirit, we had this assurance that he is faithful and he will sanctify. He will change us into the image of the Jesus. And remember, it's by his power and not by ours. God is faithful. What a wonderful first benefit from his faithfulness. The next benefit comes from uh, Psalms chapter 135 and Romans 8, ones that we've read before in this series. Uh, the Psalms 135 passage says, he says this, he gives food to every creature. His faithful love endures forever. And in Romans 8, he says, he who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. We looked at this one when we were talking about the goodness of God. He give, God is good to give us all these things that, that we need. So in this point, we say God, the benefit is God is faithful to provide. Now, I wasn't going to put this one in there, but I was talking to many of us, some of, you, some of our church members here, just asking them about God's faithfulness. 
faithfulness. And one thing that ran through all of them is that people said, God has been so faithful to provide for me and to continue just unendingly supply for me. You know, being involved in missions, I read a story once about a guy named George Mueller. He was a guy who's, uh, who lived in the 18th century, and he was really, he, his big deal was he was ministering to orphans. And we had this story about God's faithfulness to provide for him. Um, sometimes the money ran out for him and, or got really close to being out. And so one day, uh, the children, there were 300 of them. They were, came out and all dressed for school, and the person who was taking care of, of, the, of the house with those children, they said, said, George, they're ready to go. They're ready to go to school, but we don't have any food for them today. And so George just said, okay, bring them in, sit them down at the table like we usually do, put out the plates, and then we're going to pray, and then we're just going to wait. <laughs> okay, and that's what he did. But soon after that, they prayed and they were waiting. There was a knock on the door, and the, the knock was the baker of the town, in the town and, he, and he came in and he said, I was... God just woke me up last night, and he just told me to bake three batches of bread, and he brought them in for him. And soon after that, another knock on the door, and the, guy, the milk, the, the guy who sells the milk in town, his cart had broken down right outside his door, and it was going to spoil, and he, thought, he decided to bring it in. So God provided just one of the many ways in which God provided for him in his life. In the end of his life, he cared for more than 10 thousand orphans and there was over a hundred schools that he helped to build he never asked for a dime he never asked for any support from anybody that's one thing he always he said he just he just prayed to God and God provided people to do that God provides he's provided for us in this church I work in the food pantry a lot and throughout my years there that I've seen in here that prevent pantry has always been provided with food, and it continues every day. He's provided for us, my family here in this church. You know, Michelle and I came here in the early 90s, and we asked this church, we did ask for support to, to go to Africa and do our mission work there. And at that point in time, I think things were a little bit tough, and, and the elders said, Well, I tell you what, Bob, you just you go and we'll let you ask the church. And if they say yes, then we'll go that route, maybe outside the budget. So we did that. I passed out these forms to everybody and had two questions. First question was, are you willing to support the Bentleys in Africa? And the second question was, how much? Okay. And the way I remember that story going is that people passed these cards back in. We read them and tallied it up. And it was almost exactly what we needed. Some people remember that story a little bit differently. They tell me that I... But I, 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 they passed them in, and then I read them, and it wasn't enough. And I passed it back out to everybody, and I said, do it again. <laughs> but I don't, I don't remember it quite like that. It was, uh, I think God provided for us in the end, for sure, all that we needed there. God is faithful to provide. But he also provides for us in another way, according to these scriptures. I want to go to 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13. It says this. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God is faithful to provide a way out. To provide a way out in temptation. Now this passage says a couple of things about temptation here. Or one, it says, be careful when you think you're feeling strong. You think you've got it all together. Because that's when Satan will attack you. That's when, you know, we go through temptations every day and Satan is cunning. 
He wants to knock you down and make you fall. So be humble. And don't say things like, nobody's ever had a temptation like this in their life. Because no, there's no temptation like, out, like that out there according to this verse. People have gone through whatever you're going through here. And remember this, temptation is not sin. James over in chapter 1 tells us about sin and temptation. And he says there, when we're tempted, it's not coming from God. God is good. He doesn't want us to, to, to fall. God wants to give us good things. But instead, it says when we're tempted, we're drawn away or we are lured away by our own desires, our own evil desires that are with us. Uh, it might look good. It's like a fish looking at that little shiny. I've been fishing a lot with my grandson these days. It's like a fish looking at that shiny lure, seeing this, oh, it's so good. And then he bites it, and then he's got a hook in his mouth. And so sin, temptation, temptation is like that for us. It looks good. Sin looks good. And then we're carrying along, and then we act. And then it might be sweet for a little while, but in the end, James says, it ends up in death. But remember this, temptation is not sin. Temptation is when we say yes to it and we give in to it. But the good news about all of that is that God is faithful. And in this passage, it says he will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear and that he will provide a way out. And that's kind of hard to believe, but... What it means is he will always provide a way out. We just have to see and find the way out. So when we're tempted, and we are tempted every day, look for that way out. I think sometimes temptations last a long time. or Sometimes maybe it's a short temptation and it, gets, and it goes long. I have a good friend who says, you know, you don't fight the, if you can, don't fight the enemy when he gets right up to you. You fight the enemy when he's out there somewhere. So when you are get, being tempted at the very beginning... And look for that way out. Because there it's easier to get out. And according to this, that way out will always, 100% of the time, that temptation or that way out of that temptation will always be there. God is faithful. That's what he says. Okay, and then the next one, the next benefit kind of flows right in from that one. It comes from John, 1 John 1, 9 where it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins. And will purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. So, even when we're tempted and we do make the wrong decision and we sin, the incredible next benefit of God's faithfulness, according to this, is that he will forgive us. We confess our sin, he is faithful and just, he will forgive us. We're talking to Christians here, people who have already come to Jesus. You know, before you become to Christ... The Bible talks about repenting of your sins, turning away from your sins, and confessing the name of Jesus. Maybe someone's going to do that today, I think. Return away and confess their belief and their trust in Jesus, that he is the Lord, he is the Savior. But after you become a believer and a follower of Jesus, then you sin and you confess it to him. You confess it to him, ask forgiveness, he will forgive you. And the Bible also talks about confessing to one another, which is another important part. Confess your sins one to another, James says in chapter 5, and you'll find healing. So both of those ideas or those, those principles, those actions are so important to us. Confess to God when we fall, he'll forgive you. Confess our sins to each other. That adds to, to this healing because lots of times people want to, they sin and they carry burdens around. We don't need to be carrying the burden of sin around. 
We want to get them off, get them out of our lives so that we'll have this freedom. You know, and when God forgives you, a lot of people have struggled with not forgiving themselves. Maybe because the sin is so, they think it's so big or so awful. Or maybe it's some kind of sin that you continually do. And it's hard to get over. And you say, oh, I just, I'm just, something's wrong with me. I, I just can't get over this. And they can't forgive themselves for doing, for doing it. But you know, if God is big enough and faithful enough to forgive you, you should forgive yourself. And it goes back to continuing to yield to him and to surrender to him and stay in the community of believers. It'll help you to do that. The last benefit, and maybe the greatest one, of God's faithfulness comes from 2 Timothy 2.13. And this may be the hardest one in some ways. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. I say this is difficult for two reasons, because the, the verse right before this says something like this. It says, if you disown him, he will disown you. And some versions say, if you deny him, he will deny you. And that's pretty harsh. And then here, it looks like, man, what would, might follow that would be something like, if you are faithless, he won't be faithful to you. Or maybe he'll leave you. But it doesn't do that. What's the answer here? Maybe the, maybe the solution is in the terms. Denying or disowning seems to be a very strong term, a strong action, very deliberate. It's describing someone who completely turns away and rejects God. Maybe even a public kind of declaration to where someone who is faithless maybe is describing someone that yeah, they haven't turned their back on God, but maybe they're just, they're just hanging on. They're some, they've gone through something. They're just like hanging on to the end of the rope or they got their fingers on the edge of the cliff and they're just barely there. And if that's the case, then God, the Bible is saying here that God is faithful and that he will remain faithful. And the reason he does that is right there in the text too. It says, for he cannot disown himself. Now, that idea might go back again to the Old Testament. God was a covenant God. He made these covenants to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Made the, he made these covenants to other people and to Israel. He would love them, protect them, be with them. And he did it. That's part of who he is. That is who he is. He's, he's so faithful. If he says he's going to be faithful, and he's not, he's disowning himself. What, a, what an, an awesome kind of concept that he is that kind of God. Cannot design, deny his own faithfulness. So, have you ever been there? Have you ever been to that place because some kind of struggle in your life? It might be a sickness. It might be a death of a loved one. A rejection by someone that you love. Or maybe a failure in your life. A failure at a job. A failure at a career. A failure in a relationship. Have you ever been there where... Man, it just really puts you way down where your faith was so low. Maybe your heart was broken or maybe your spirit was crushed. I suspect that a lot of people have, you have, maybe even are going through it right now. I know I have in my life. You know, the cool thing about this is that this says God is still faithful. And not only is he still faithful and he will, he's faithful to remain with you, it says he is even close to you. David reminds this in Psalms 34, one of my favorite Psalms, verse 18, where it says he is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So why is this maybe one of the greatest uh, benefits of faithfulness? Even when we are so low like that, God is 
still with you. And he's even close to you and there wanting to save you. I think it might have been like this for Jeremiah in the Old Testament. One of the verses in the, in the, in the video at the beginning it refers back to this. So Jeremiah was a, was a prophet of God. He was a pretty fiery prophet. And he made all these predictions. And God gave them to him about what was going to happen to Jerusalem. And it did happen. And he was there and he witnessed it. I mean, the city, the walls were destroyed. The city was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. People were killed. Death was everywhere. Destruction. And people were taken off to another country. And so we have in chapter 3, man, this incredible description of why he was, of lamentations, which is he was lamenting. He was grieving over the city about what was going on. I'm going I'm to go to, to one scripture, uh, Lamentations 2.9. I'm going to skip one I, ha- I was going to have on the screen. It says this. Her gates, talking about Jerusalem, have sunk into the ground. Their bars he has broken and destroyed. Her king and her princes are exiled among the nation. The law is no more. Her prophets no longer find visions from the Lord. And then in in verse 16 through 21, he, he really describes the agony that he himself is going through by what's happened to him. He says, he has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. My soul is downcast within me. Wow. (laughs) He was low. (laughs) I mean, he had hit the bottom, it sounds like. It seems like faith almost gone because of what happened to him, what had happened to the city. But then we have these amazing verses coming up right behind it. So he changes from doom and woe to optimism and hope. And it's like a miraculous change. And if you've never read this passage before, it's amazing. And it's something that's characteristic, like I think we've said before, of the prophets. What does he say after being so low? He says, yet this I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope because of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed for they his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. And here it comes. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So he remembers something. I mean, in the midst of this horrendous situation, all this destruction, he remembers when he wakes up every morning, he remembers this incredible, great love of God, this compassion that he has for him. He's still alive. He's still breathing. God is still providing for him. And then he says, he talks about God's faithfulness. Not only that he's just faithful, but he is, he's great. He has great faithfulness in his life. God is a faithful God. He has This steadfast love and covenant is there every morning. And then he talks about this portion. You know, when the Bible usually talks about this portion, it's talking about the land. In the Old Testament especially, every tribe had a portion. Every family had a portion, a section of the land. It was so, so important to them. It was their inheritance. Another word for that is inheritance. So I think... um, Jeremiah is doing two things here. He's reminding himself and others that, you know what, in the future, this looks bad right now, but in the future, God's going to bring, God's going to restore things again. He's going to bring the people back. 
He's going to rebuild the walls. He's going to rebuild the city. He's going to even rebuild the temple. And it happened. They did. They came back. But more than that, he's not really thinking about that altogether because he says, he says, really my portion. He says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. The Lord is my portion. So really for him, the most important thing was God himself. God was his inheritance. God is the one who was faithful. The one who was going to always be there and give him future. So, summary today. So, we are praising God for these great benefits of his faithfulness to sanctify us, to change us, to provide for us in our life all that we have. Provide for a way out of temptation. To forgive us when we fall and then to be there, be close to us, remain with us even when we're so down that we can hardly see through the, through the fog. What, was our, what is our response to all this? What is our response to God's faithfulness? Well, first of all, it's like Isaiah. It's like Jeremiah in this passage. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Some passages say wait for him. And a few verses later, it mentions both of those, both of those things. Our response to God's faithfulness, I'd say number one today, especially if we're in a situation like he's describing here, where there's desolation and despair, is to wait, to wait on God, to wait and hope, to wait in hope. Sometimes that waiting is very short, maybe like Moses at the Red Sea, he didn't have to wait very long for the waters to split, or maybe, or maybe like Peter when he, 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 he went down into the water, he started to sink and drown, and he didn't have to wait very long until Jesus reached down and grabbed his hand. He went from faithful, he, G, Peter went from faithful to faithless pretty fast right there, but it didn't last very long. But other times we have to wait for long times, like the Israelites when they were in Egypt, years, or in Babylon for years. But in all that waiting, we wait in expectation that God is there, that something good is going to come out of that. Like David said in Psalms 27. I think I had this on the screen. It says, I am confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait on the Lord. So we wait. We have to wait. Uh, and we wait and be still. You know, the Bible says, when we're waiting, we be still. Be still and know that I am God. Be still. Meditate on God. And listen to God. Listen to what God has for you in those situations. Listen to the voice of comfort, the voice of consolation. Response number two is this, to God's faithfulness. Share his faithfulness in community. His faithfulness to change us. His faithfulness to provide for us. His faithfulness to, to deliver us. His faithfulness in all these ways that we've been talking about today. His faithfulness to be there. Share it in community. You know, when, I was, when I've been talking to some people about God's faithfulness, I would say, hey, how's God been faithful to you? I mean, some people, some of the older people, they would just go and just rattle off so many ways that God has been faithful. So share it in community, in your grow groups, in your small groups, one-on-one. Share what God has done for you. In response number three, last one, is this. Share God's faithfulness with others. With your friends outside of the church. People need to know how God is faithful. They need to know that God is powerful and he's still alive. They need to know he's not just off out there somewhere not doing anything. He's still working in our lives. So my challenge to you this week is to write something down. 
Write something down how, or how God has been faithful to you in your life. It might be just a few things. It might be a big, long list. It might be super easy. But write it down and then share it. Share it with at least someone in our church here, in our group, in your community, in your grow group. And if you don't have some kind of group, you might say, well, I don't have one. I don't have anybody. Well, we, we are kind of in the summertime right now. The groups are kind of, our, our main, our many of our groups or breaking or not meeting as often. But sometime soon, in the next month or two, we'll be starting back up again. It'll be your opportunity to get in a group. God works in community. And it's, it's so important for us to be in community. Share it with somebody. Write it down in community. And then share it with at least one person outside our community this week. And see what a change that will make. See what I have to believe if everybody in our church who's listening today shared something with someone outside, someone who's not a believer, then we would have some impact on the people that are around us or in this world next week. We praise God. God is faithful. We believe it in all of these ways today. And he's been faithful. I promise you, he's been faithful to me. He's faithful to save. I've experienced that in the last few weeks myself with others. We're going to have one person baptized today. There may be people out there right now who who are being drawn to God because of his faithfulness. We invite you, if you're there today, to contact us through our, our website. Call us. We want to talk to you about this faithfulness of God. That's faithfulness that's shown in Jesus. Let's go to God in prayer as we close our our sermon today. Let's pray. Dear God, we're just thankful today so much for your faithfulness. You're a great God and you're faithful in ways that we cannot even uh, be able to understand. But we believe it today and we acknowledge it and want to just praise you and worship you now with all of our heart. Because you have saved us and you've given us and been faithful to us in so many ways. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.